Courtney Walsh, uh, Fox Sports senior reporter, is uh, covering not only the T20 series but the Test series starting on uh, Thursday. I want to ask him about tennis as well because it is his number one sport. Okay. What Jordan Thompson did yeah, was over incredible. the weekend was remarkable. Uh, Courtney, welcome. Yeah, hello, Jared, and hello, Adam. Hoping you're both well. What, why did Australia win that T20 series so easily, Courtney? Well, I'd love to say it's the historical advantage we have over New Zealand, but uh, and I think there is a little bit of that, by the way. I do think we tend to uh, perform very, very well against New Zealand, given I'm not so certain there's that stark a difference between the quality of those teams. Uh, but I think the capability of our bowling attack more than, more than anything else... Uh, you touched about a few of those players benched to have Pat Cummins, to have Josh Hazelwood, to have Mitch Marsh uh, sitting on the interchange bench uh, uh, for the third match yesterday, and then to be able to bowl and restrict uh, New Zealand to chasing, uh, you know, 126 uh, a little inflated by the Duckworth Lewis method, but still at Eden Park over 10 overs with 10 wickets in hand, you'd think they'd give it a shake, and they never ever look like it. The, I suppose the miserly rate of Alice and Spencer Johnson in particular. Alice has been fantastic in those last two games. I think he went for something like five and over, uh, which is just great going uh, given that format uh, on Sunday. And then, you know, a couple of days earlier to take those three wickets. He really has been, uh, you know, you talk about his tricks, just such a great death bowler and Mm. has a fantastic Yorker. And so to be able to restrict them like they did, I think is fantastic. Um, Clearly we, uh, you know, the first one we probably got out of jail. It was a, it was a remarkable chase. Tim David, uh, I think, locked himself in as that uh, the finisher. I'm sure that that was an innings that absolutely secured his uh, plane ticket to the West Indies and the USA in uh, in June. Um, a couple of other questions around, but no, you, you talk about trying to squeeze. Uh, I think about 18 into 15 positions, and it's going to be tight. And then you've got to squeeze that 15 into 11 uh, by the time you get to the. Uh, the West Indies. It's uh, some uh, some calls going to have to be made by the selectors that I think will uh, will ruffle some feathers. Will Steve Smith get on the plane? Do you think, Courtney? It's a really good question, Jared. Based on what we saw in New Zealand, you would lean to no. The one factor is that he is a champion, and you know that the decks in the West Indies may play a little different. But look, I think you almost look to the future. Uh, I think Matt Short coming in at number three yesterday was really good. He can offer a few different uh, positional uh, opportunities, I think. He can bat the middle order, he can open, and I thought he did very well at three. So if it was a choice between Matt Short, who can also bowl some very handy off spinners, and Steve Smith, and it may well come down to that, I'd probably be going with the younger man. It's a tough one, guys. I look at it this way. I think there's one spot for Steve Smith, Matt Short, or Josh Inglis. It's it's one of those that'll either bat four or five, depending on the circumstances. Um, maybe Short's bowling maybe gets him ahead because he can give some handy overs as well, but he bowls quite similarly to what uh, Glenn Maxwell does. But it's probably a good problem to have that uh, yeah. they can't squeeze them all in there. But Steve Smith, he wants to be there, Courtney. I know uh, mm. for a fact that it's something he's desperate to to, I guess, finish his international career as, as someone that he is good enough to play in the T20 team. And he, he's is he good enough in your view? I don't think he is. Mm. Because I think the, I, I think he's good enough to be in the team, but I think there's better players right. that are a bit more dynamic and a bit more powerful. Um, but he wants to prove to everybody that he is good enough yeah. to be in that team. So it's driving him. But with those two those two games he had, he didn't mm. set the world on fire and he's, he's running out of time, Courtney. 
And look, he was good when he came in uh, in India last year. After obviously after that uh, absence, uh, uh, you know, of a, of a couple of years from the T20 international side, so he had that great summer last year with the Sydney Sixers, which uh, I suppose forced him back into calculations a little bit. And he made a half century in India at the tail end of that World Cup in a, in a T20. But from there, you know, 1911, what was it, uh, four or five on Sunday, three innings, uh, you know, and he doesn't get a chance in the IPL unless something, you know, extraordinary obviously happened. So, you know, where, where does his chance come to press his claims, sort of further his claims now? Just the fact that he has got that reputation of being a champion, that he was, I think, very, very good through uh, different stages of the of the World Cup and, and to have that guiding hand there, that, that experience, someone to turn to for leadership can't be a bad thing. But then you look around at the at the 11 we had on uh, on Friday night when you've got uh, Cummins sort of sitting uh, sitting on a third man. You've got uh, Matthew Wade, who's who led the led the nation yesterday. You've got Steve Smith there, and then the actual catch, captain, you know, for the T20 series, Mitch Marsh. It's not like they're shy of leadership options. And yep. David Warner's obviously in that team as well. So there's experience there, which you know, if if you're looking to have a have a go in hand or some experience or voices, well, Smith's been there and done that. But there are other options as well. Yeah, I think it's time. The last thing you want is Steve Smith sitting there uh, bringing the drinks out. Uh, he's done that a little bit uh, in recent times, but uh, time to move on. But uh, who's going to be favourite? Will Australia go in as favourites? It's a really good question. I thought that uh, I thought that series against West Indies was was really strong. And, uh, and look, you think the West Indies at home, you know, they've won it twice. Uh, can they go back and, and do it? Uh, you know, a third time on home soil. Well, we know that no one's been able to do it at home, so it's always difficult there. I think you have to go with Australia, given the given the actual depth and, and the number of potential match winners in that lineup. You know, Maxwell, Marsh, uh, David Warner, Travis Head at the top of the order. You only need a couple of those to fire, and you're going to set a very formidable target. And then I'll be fascinated to see what the bowling lineup actually is in the end. But you've got match winners with Zampa, uh, you know, proven match winner in the short form. And then you've got, uh, you know, three outstanding fast bowlers and, and a couple of really handy uh, potentials in, in Alice and also Johnson. So, I, I, look, I just think that the depth we've got and our reputation for closing out big, big titles, the World Test Championship, the one-day World Cup where we slow start but then got rolling, I, I'd hard, be hard-pressed to see Australia not as favourites, I've got to say. And I think, Jared and Courtney, the thing is, with it being played in the West Indies and a bit in America as well, they're going to be small grounds. So you need mm. those power hitters. Yep. We saw the way the West Indies played in the series against Australia. They just slogged yes. from day one, yep. uh, from ball one. And while it was reckless, they were still getting 200. So I think that's another reason why Smith might miss out. If it was the bigger grounds yep. here in Australia, I think they might be more likely to go that way. For me, I, I think, look, the obvious three, India, Australia and England, are going to be the ones to beat. But then on their day, Pakistan, South Africa... Uh, the West Indies and probably New Zealand can can put up a good fight. That's that's mm. what T Twenty cricket is. So it is a bit of guesswork, I think, going into the into the tournament uh, in America and the West Indies. What about the Test series, Courtney? We're only a couple of days away. It starts on Thursday, so it quickly changes gear, and we go back to, I guess, trying to make up for what happened against the West Indies in Brisbane. It's the last time we saw them in the Whites. Still very, very curious uh, performance there with the superstar, uh, obviously uh, unearthed by the West Indies uh, in Adelaide and Brisbane. And look, it wasn't an entirely... To win four of the five tests through the summer against Pakistan and the West Indies, it wasn't an entirely convincing summer for mine. Uh, you know, that Pakistan series, you know, it, it was a whitewash, but 
gosh, they, they were in big trouble on at least two of those tests and, you know, a couple of catches uh, and it may well have uh, been one that went the other way there. So, yeah, I, I think there's some, some, again, some interesting questions that we'll, uh, we may well have answered by the end of this two-test series. Uh, is Steve Smith going to, uh, you know, he was very good in Brisbane, um, you know, but clearly that experiment rolls on in terms of him as the opener. Cam Green made a, a good score at his most recent shield outing. But again, that that uh, that experiment with him at number four rolls on. Are we a team that was just a little fatigued through the summer, given what has been an extraordinary year, or are we a team that, uh, while we have many champions, may well be sort of edging closer to needing, uh, I suppose, uh, an evolution of sorts. Uh, you know, a couple more fresh fresh players introduced in. It's it's amazing that we play this two test series and then our next test outing will be against India in early December. It's, uh, it's, it's a lot resting on this one, I reckon. I think it's a, 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 I think it was the point number two you raised there. It's an interesting challenge that uh, cricket and cricketers need to address, and that is after such an amazing six to eight months of cricket uh, in, on the subcontinent and uh, in the UK, what were we to expect? I mean, Labuschagne struggled to a degree but he hasn't had a mental break for a hell of a long time. These test cricketers who were playing for the trophies of their lives come back from uh, England and all of a sudden have to put the pads back on and we've got five test matches on here in Australia. I think it's an incredible arc mentally of this group and I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a lot of fluctuations in form like Labuschagne has shown simply because there's no, no mental rest. Jared, you're spot on. And the Australians won't talk about this publicly, yeah. but they were fried. Oh, of course the they summer. were. Actually, we did great yeah. to I, win four out of yeah. five. And I think if you go back to, it was our own, our own home summer, then it was India, then it was the World Test Championship, yeah. then it was the Ashes, then it was the World Cup. There were one-day tournaments in yeah. South Africa as well and all that sort of thing. I'm surprised Travis Head didn't collapse, given yeah. how high he was. He was yep. at the top of Mount Everest. Yep. Came back, you know, had a little few days at uh, base camp, yep. got back up again, and and then, uh, you know, he's been pretty solid but incredible. I, I think he's emblematic of how Australia were through that summer. Yeah. They, they were just tired. Mm. Um, and I still think there are some batting frailties that New Zealand might be able to expose. Labuschagne is out of form. That, yeah. that, that's, that's a given now. Um, and he needs to get his form back quickly. Um, because he's essentially the gatekeeper for that middle order that liked to thrash it and bash it, mm. which is Head and Marsh. Um, and we're still not sure about Cameron Green at four. So he needs to find form, Labuschagne. Um, and, you know, Steve Smith, we still don't know about him as an opener. So we saw this all the way back in the ashes. The batting is still Australia's issue. Bowling, no problems. We know what they do. They're very, very dependable. It's how we get runs on New Zealand uh, pitches that is going to be fascinating over the next couple of weeks. Anybody wobbly in the test team, do you think, Courtney? Well, no, I mean, in terms of, I, I think this is almost the 11 that we go to India with, regardless of what happens, unless it's an absolute uh, disaster in New Zealand and, and, and players don't find form. I, I, I was intrigued by the Lavashane interview uh in the news call uh, tabloids on the weekend where he talked about, you know, trying to perhaps uh, protect one form of dismissal and all of a sudden finding himself <laughs> nicking out all the time. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I guess it's one of those things where you focus down on one thing and then find yourself, uh, you know, getting out a different way. So, you know, there is some pressure on him to, to try and find his best. Uh, who's knocking down the door in terms of, uh, of a replacement for him? I'm not so sure there is anyone. Is, is there why? You would, you, would, uh, you would be able to name a few young cricketers, but 
given his quality and sustained quality, you know, he goes from 60 to averaging 50. Yeah. Still a fairly handy average. Pretty good. Yeah. He's still the he's still the right player to be there for the moment. But, I mean, Matt Renshaw is the backup batsman who cannot get a run. Mm. And Marnus Labashain went back to club cricket um, to try and um, get, him, get him some form. You know what? I reckon that's terrific yeah. that he's done that. It just mm. shows how desperate he is, I guess, to turn things around. He captain Queensland in one one-day game just to try and get some time out in the yep. middle. So you'd, ba- you'd back him to turn it around, um, but he'd want to turn it around. That's all I'll say. And, and the ethic of these guys, you know, you do get that chance when you go to Perth four days out from, uh, or four or five days out from that opening test, and it's scorching conditions. And the first couple out there, and those that are out there the longest, Steve Smith and Marnus Lovershane, yes. out in the middle, in the nets, and working hard, do the same thing in Melbourne. They do the same thing in Sydney. They're the guys who are working exceptionally hard. Now, maybe that, maybe you know, they might have been better off uh, taking up. That's enough, boys. I need to. I'll shut up shop for a couple of days and come out a bit fresher. But you know that they're really putting in to try and find their best form. Yes. All right. Are we ready to talk tennis, Jared? Are we ready to turn it around? Are Absolutely. Let's uh, get on to uh, an extraordinary achievement by an Australian. Match against Mickel. Joy for Jordan Thompson in Los Cabos. The miraculous marathon week ends with him as an ATP singles champion for the first time in his career. It was unbelievable what he did to win, uh, but also what he did throughout the tournament. It was a win over Casper Ruud in the final. It was a win over uh, Alexander Zverev in the semi-final. He was down six mm. love, four one, fifteen forty in the first round. Gee, and was able to somehow turn it around. And Courtney, all of a sudden, he gets his first ATP title, Jordan Thompson, and he goes to number thirty-two in the world as a result. What a week he's had, and won the doubles. Picked up the doubles. Uh, he had to play a semi-final and the final. After that uh, that singles triumph uh, over Casper Ruud yesterday, I think he finished around 3 a.m. in the morning uh, in Mexico. But admittedly, he and uh, Max Purcell pocketed another 74,000 uh, Australian between them. So I'd play a couple more double there, nice. doubles for uh, for 37,000 or so. I think it took his weekly uh, tally to about 250, Jordan, for the week. So a nice little uh, week of work. But it was an exceptional effort. There's, there's a couple of factors at play. You talk about that resilience Uh at 29, may seem like a, it's a long time coming. It is a long time coming to win an ATP Tour title. But he's a player of very, very good quality, and he's had great wins in the past. And he's been a, you know, a regular sort of second round or third round. I think it just demonstrates just how hard it is for for a player to actually win an ATP title. You, you look around, and there's some very good players out there who haven't got one beside their name. It also shows how hard tennis is. Every week before this, Jordan Thompson has departed the tournament a beaten player, a loser at some yeah. stage. And, you know, that's that's sort of going to be very, very hard to deal over. You know, it's 10 years since he made his debut with the Australian Open, 11 years as a professional. Um, he, he does look to me, he has looked to me to be in some really, really good form over the last year or so. He, like he's added some sort of, I think, I think his serves picked up. He was really good against Djokovic uh, at Wimbledon last year uh, on centre court. He stepped out and really took it to the... To the eight-time, uh, sorry, the seven-time Wimbledon champion was was fantastic there. Um, he's had the experiences of of playing Rafael Nadal on Philip Chetrier at centre court at Roland Garros, of playing Novak Djokovic on centre court at Wimbledon, and and performing well, not disgracing himself. He's he's taken 
he's beaten Andy Murray when Murray was uh, the number one in the world. So he's had good wins, but to be able to string it together like he did, he talked about the position he was in. He, he was up against the young American, Alex Michelson, who you'll hear a lot more of. And Michelson, in fact, beat Alex Dimonor, who I suspect was fatigued, having come from uh, the Middle East to uh, to Mexico after that big run to a final uh, where he played really well against Yannick Sinner a week earlier. So, But Michelson still good enough to roll him and roll him pretty comprehensively. And he's in a dominant position against uh, Jordan, and Jordan finds a way out of that quarterfinal. Then against the Rev, who was really good in Australia, a semi-finalist, takes him down in the third set tiebreaker, finishing very, very, very early in the morning. Backs up, you know, far less than 24 hours later. You're looking at 16 hours later against Casper Ruud, a three-time Grand Slam finalist, uh, US Open finalist, just a couple of years ago. And to take him down in the fashion he did, he was clearly the better player in that final fantastic tennis by him. So let's hope that this might be one that actually opens the doors a little bit for him. You know, it might be that we start seeing him winning uh, a couple of, you know, being a, being a finalist and winning sort of titles uh, every now and again, Jordan, because he's certainly got the all-court game to trouble a lot of players and the consistency. And let's hope that he's someone that can make a big run, you know, a deep run, a quarterfinal or, or perhaps even a semifinal at a Grand Slam in the next year or two, because Look, he works exceptionally hard, and, and these type of victories, these type of weeks can, can set up a player. Yeah, amazing things happen in sport. I mean, Mr. Cricket was 31 when he made his debut from memory and uh, went on to be one of the, the great players uh, for Australian cricket. And, uh, well, he's only 29. And uh, if you can knock off Alex Verath, who for me is one of the most uh, interesting athletes on the planet because his highs are so incredibly high, and yet he still hasn't won a major. No one has played better tennis on this planet than what he did against Alcaraz in the, what was a quarterfinal, I think, in, in the Australian Open, and then gets bundled out in the semi semifinal. Uh, and yet he's just, he, he would have been, I guess, uh, what a better dollar twenty-five favourite going in against Jordan Thompson and, and can't get the job done. So that's that's an amazing win by Thompson. Uh, absolutely, and, and, and particularly in the, uh, the conditions as well, Mexico, uh, you know, he's got such height on him, that serve when it's going. Yep. So for Jordan to be able to take him down, but that's what I like about Jordan. And he's he's playing clever tennis against Novak at Wimbledon, you know, the one that I was talking about earlier. Yep. He knew he couldn't beat him from the baseline in his regular game. So he served and volleyed and really <laughs> rattled Djokovic for a period. Like, really took it right up to him. Yeah. He's got Marinko Matasevic. Remember old Marinko yep. who uh, <laughs> yeah. carved out a, a decent career? You know, quite a... Quite a character would be uh, yep. one way to describe Marinko, but he got the best out of himself. He's got Marinko sort of helping him out now, and I don't doubt that we'll see Jordan getting the best out of himself. And, and one thing I love about him, he puts his hand up no matter where it is to play Davis Cup for Australia, and he does it as much as he possibly can. So, you know, a very, very valuable player when you've got someone who can play very strong singles as the number two option behind Jordan. Uh, sorry, behind Alex Jimenor, and very, very good doubles as well. So, Courtney, you've watched Jordan play for a long time. Because he has been around a, a fairly long time, what's changed? I think he's stronger. As I said, I think that serve has picked up. I think his serve certainly uh, got a little more power, a little more shape to it, um, and that's making it harder to break him. But I also think it's just a belief in the strength. You know, at, at sort of 27, 28, 29, he's now... I think, believes that he can beat these players on a regular basis. He's strong and he's wise, and he knows how to manage his, himself in terms of schedules, etc. Just playing playing, you know, playing at his peak. It doesn't surprise me that at 27, 28, 29, you start to, you know, everything you've done over the years, the, all the experience you've gained. And he's a very durable player. I think he sits about fifth in terms of 
Grand Slam appearances in succession among active players. So I think he's played the last 32 or so. So he's been a regular fixture at Grand Slam tennis level for eight years now. That's the player who's tough and hard and mature to be able to keep getting himself to the biggest stages every single time is, is impressive. But he's just added a little bit of subtlety to his to his serving, a bit more power and shape. And, and as I said, I think tactically he's playing better. Like he's, he's throwing different things at his at his rivals. And, and I don't doubt that that's part partly due to the you know the person he's got in his box, someone who's sort of been there and done that and able to break it down and, and work on your strengths while exposing the other players' weaknesses. All right, Courtney, thank you very much for joining us. Talking uh, two sports with us on good Sports work, Day tonight. You can uh, read all your all your good work at foxsports.com.au. Absolute pleasure, Jens. Always good to be with you.